I'm going to ask you if you have your Bible to raise your Bible up in the air. And it's of his word. Is anybody excited about having the word of God? You may be seated. You know, there there are years and years I I look back in my, my Christian life. I'm ashamed sometimes to call it my Christian life. I'm just saying it was after I was saved. But the Bible was uh, something that uh, sat there that didn't get used. Of course, I knew it. I'd hid quite a bit of it in my heart and in my mind, but I didn't refer to it. I didn't use it as my guide. I didn't, uh, I didn't use it as my resource. It was one of, those, uh, one of those things. I knew it was there if I needed it, and I knew that it was the Word of God. But I wasn't frequent with it. It was something that well, I knew I needed to have when I went to church. But I can actually say, you know, there was no excitement about it. I was trying to get my excitement from other things. And I was, I was looking at a lot of different things. I would gain knowledge in other things. And, you know, it's sort of the way it is today. People are, people are uh, always reading something or adamant about something or watching something. And they got this on their mind. And even Christians. And that becomes uh, just... The, the flag that they're carrying. That's what they want to do. And the Word of God is the Word of truth. A lot of the things that, you know, we, we own today and campaign, I mean, we just got out of a political season, for crying out loud. And people are just quick to th- tell their opinion on what this is. This is my opinion. Hey, this is what the world needs to do. This is what we need to do to get straight now, right? Well, if they get in office or if they get in office and everybody has that opinion, and of course, in the time of COVID, Everybody's got an opinion on what they think is right. And boy, they, they stand on that. And man, they are fast on that. And, and none of it's truth. None of it is rock solid truth. Not a bit of it. But yet we own it like it's something that is, that is defining us. The truth is what God gives us in his word. The other happens on a daily basis and we pick it up and we carry it around but the truth and and as a Christian I I put it down and and I can tell you and I don't know if any of you uh, can relate to this but when I put it down you know I drifted and I continued to drift even to the point to where there were days that I didn't consider it is my my source or my guide have you ever been there And so, as we have this truth class, I want you to understand the significance. We've talked for for the first two classes of truth class about the evidence of the truth. We realize that God gives us truth in several ways. The first way that we're able to recognize truth is that he puts it inside of us. It's our conscience. Romans 2.15 tells us that he wrote it on our hearts, right? Every person gets that when they're born. That's not whether you feel good about something. It's that gut feeling of something is right or wrong or something you should do or shouldn't do. And then we have the, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that, that a person doesn't just get when they're saved, but that Holy Spirit that draws someone to God. 
That's the Holy Spirit of truth. And then once they come to God, it's your guide. So that's the source of truth. And then, of course, we have Jesus Christ himself, who was truth in the flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and what? Truth. And then we have the written Word. I love the written Word. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, or standeth in the way of sinners, or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in season. And his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Do you know what that's centered around? It's centered around Someone that delights in the law. You say, what law? Law, a law is a truth. That's why it's called a law. It's a truth. Right now, if you see a sign that says you're supposed to drive 55, you say that's the law. It's the truth that you're supposed to live by. God gives us a book of truths in written form. In this day and time, we see a departure from the truth of God in our society. And as I've told you before, it should motivate us as ambassadors of the truth. It should motivate us to to be able to, to go out and state the truth even more and live by the truth. But if we depart from the written word of truth, we will be as ambassadors with no incentive Because do you know one flaw that we have as human beings? We have to be continually reminded of something. You say, well, I don't agree with that. Then why would God put the Holy Spirit with us continually? Why would he give us the written word? Why would he put a never-ending conscience that's in us? Oh, sure, we can sear it, as the Bible says. But he knows we need to continually be reminded. But I don't want you to take my word from it. I've got some scripture I want to give you tonight. I want to start with just 2 Timothy chapter 3. We've started here for a couple of weeks, but I'll read these to you. Just a couple of verses. Second Timothy 3. When you find your place, say, I have it. Probably one of the more important Bible studies that we've done. Truth class. Reinforcing what God put in us. Reinforcing the Holy Spirit. Paying attention to the Word. Knowing that Jesus is the truth. He gave us the salvation. Why? Because at this point in time, like never before in society, and any parent of any teenager, any grandparent of a young person to a teenager, understand they are under a massive influence to depart from the truth. And they should be getting the truth in your home, and they should be getting the truth here. But there's not a lot of other places that they're going to get the truth unless they're using the word of truth as a guide. The Bible says in the last days, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of themselves, 
covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, continent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. We're in a pleasure-loving world, aren't we? But also we're in a world that that's glorifying the unnatural act of men and women. And they're stating it as a truth. You're watching this, right? Disturbing. The Bible goes on to say that even the ones that are claiming to know God have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And Paul's telling Timothy from such, turn away. It's a form of godliness. They're saying some of the right things. They're wrapping it around an intention that they have that's supposed to be God-oriented, but it would be no different than what we're hearing today about God saying that anybody can love anybody because God is love. And you can take that word love and You can wipe out all kinds of passages in the scripture that tells you that God says that men are supposed to love women and women are supposed to love men without natural affection. Even so much so in a neighboring neighboring city or county that we have, it disturbed me this week to see that they were putting it out there on the local news. The exciting thing was happening. They were starting a council and inviting anybody that wanted to be on this council, this is anybody at large, to be on that council. The council was going to be instituted by the city, Greensboro, that said, we want to make sure that we have a council to ensure transgender rights. So what's going to happen is anybody that wants to be on that council to ensure the rights and that nothing is happening to discriminate. So you're carrying this, right? So I'm talking about truth here and a departure from the truth. Anybody can be on here. So understand, their actual job is to see anything that violates this and bring attention to it to stop it, which would be something like I just said. You know where this is going. So are we supposed to just not talk about this? Hey, don't talk about that. Is this bothering you that I'm talking about it? It's the truth. A departure from the truth means that the way that you know that it's supposed to be, the way that you feel it's supposed to be, the way the Bible says it's supposed to be, there's a departure from that. So you're no longer allowed to say, well, that's just not right. Right is truth. The Bible says, that they're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Again, let me remind you that the reason we see God's truth being rejected is because mankind begins to develop his own truth based on what we can justify as our own truth. When we begin to hear others state their version of what they think is right and wrong, And then as others join in and think the same way, then we have what's called a consensus truth that people begin to consider because they keep hearing it over and over. Hey, we're talking about repetition again, aren't we? Remember that. 
The reason that you have a societal swing is because the anti-truth message continues to be repeated. But yet the real message of the truth is not being repeated as much. Because it wasn't always like this. Growing up in a time not too long ago, I mean, I don't feel like it was long ago. But we had a sense of right and wrong even when we were young. And it was all gauged on the morality that came from the biblical principles. It's what were followed. Why? Because they were repeated. And they were repeated and people heard them. They went where they could hear them. But a lot of times today, it's hard to even get the people that claim they hear them to work it in because lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, there's a lot of things that come in the way of the time to hear somebody. There's the pleasures that we want to have. I mean, we're all guilty. So, found some jewels, some nuggets in the Word that I want to share with you the departure from the truth is is due to the many voices that oppose God's truth. So you can contrast 50, 60 years ago with today and you can see that it's just that the voices that go against God's truth are more. The voices of man battle the conviction of truth that, that man has naturally through his conscience about right and wrong. So much so that that natural thought that a young man or young woman has that says, like these kids when I brought up to them, do you think it's right for that man and that man to be together? No, ooh, no. But when they began to hear over and over again with the many voices, then what happens is the natural conscience begins to accept, well, maybe, maybe I'm just not right. And then as they grow to an age to where they want to be intellectual, they'll attend somewhere to where someone will glorify their intellectualism. And someone will stand in front of them and say, if you're not as naive, you shouldn't be naive as the generation before. So let me make you feel intellectual. You have to open your mind to the truth that I'm going to tell you and don't stay in this archaic truth that's based on this archaic book. And so in the name of intellectualism, truth gets distorted. Why? Well, because the same truth is not being put in at the same rate that the false truth is being put in. It's amazing, isn't it? Never would have known it then, but I stayed in some sense of truth as long as my parents made me go to church. But as soon as I had a reason not to that I could validate, whether it be something with school or work or just couldn't get there, then I drifted away because I stopped hearing the truth. Amazing. Retrospectively looking at it, right? Maybe I'm not by myself. Anybody else? 
we have those influences that begin to accept their own truth and refuse God's truth. And if we're open to these influences, then we open ourselves to a truth other than God's truth. And most Christians don't realize when they do this because they hang on to God's truth, but yet they open themselves to another truth. But God said clearly, you're either for me or against me. You can't accept my truth and accept another truth. Doesn't work. Doesn't even make sense if you think about it. Because we're so influenced by the accepted truth of mankind's own thinking, and because we're influenced by society's acceptance of truth that goes against God's truth, we have to be intentional as Christians to make sure of two things. When I say intentional, that means you have to put forth effort. Intentional. What are they? Number one, you have to be intentional to recognize and reject any truth that goes against the truth of God. How can I do that? Well, he gave you four ways, Christian. He put it in your conscience. He gave you the Lord Jesus, who is the manifestation of truth. You accepted him. You got the Holy Spirit of truth, and you've got the written word. And then secondly, we're called to expose ourselves to the truth of God from his written word and his taught and his preached word as often as we can. You know, you would expect a, a pastor to stand up in front of you and say, hey, it's really important how much you put yourself in the word of God, seeing that that's what I'm going to be doing here. Sounds like I'm just trying to promote my profession, doesn't it? But I'm not. You see, we have to constantly expose ourselves to the truth of God or we'll begin to accept the truth of man. The voice of God will speak to you, the voice of truth. But you have to put yourself in a position to hear it. Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read this, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hey, it's talking about what happens when Jesus comes into you, right? Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. It's telling you, hang in there, hold on there, hold fast the profession of your faith. That would take effort, intentionality, wouldn't it? Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. That means we're called even to help each other. Why would we be told this? Because we know that we're going to be hearing other voices. And then he says, forsake not. The assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And this was even told to people who were facing persecution. It was in reference of persecution. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some. And some people have stopped coming and assembling. 
but so much more as you see the day approaching. What day? Well, I think we read 2 Timothy chapter 3. In the last days, these things will happen, right? What happens? People are looking for truth in different places, a truth that works out better for them in their schedule. We even know that he says that we need to draw near full assurance. As James said, draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. That's intentional, right? That's not loving God or wanting to grow close to him from a distance. It's intentional. Psalmist said in Psalms 86, 11, teach me thy way, O Lord, I'll walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name in a world filled with with so many different voices that are stating their own truths and those truths are different than God's truth. God assures us that he'll lead us in his truth. But we need to stay as close as we can. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight, say the word with me, but his what? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law, let's replace law with truth. His delight is in the truth of the Lord. His delight is in what? The truth of the Lord. And in this truth or in this law, doth he meditate day and night. That's intentional. He's in the word. In this law, doth he meditate day and night. Now, listen to the benefit. And he shall be. Did I tell you this was Psalms 1? Psalms 1. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in season. That tree by the river is flourishing. And his leaf also shall not wither. That means if you stay by the water, if you stay by the word, if you stay intentional, if you're putting yourself there, if you're meditating on it, not only are you going to grow exponentially, in all kind of ways, but especially in your peace, your joy, and your knowledge of God. But your leaf isn't going to wither. You don't have a winner. Glory to God. What's your favorite season, Jody? Spring. Man, spring's a popular... Anybody like spring? Yeah. Summer? Anybody like summer? Oh, look at the summertime people, right? Well, I know we've got people that like fall and people talk about that. And we've got fall. Let me, I don't want to cut you guys out. Fall. Winter. Yeah, the older you get, the colder you'll get. <laughs> some of you just got some of the boon blood in you. I know you like it. And, but... Winter, everything dies, right? Your leaf also shall not wither. But get this. You talk about a self-help book. You've got people out there campaigning. They're paying big money to come and do these motivational speeches on how to prosper. And the Lord God himself said, and whatsoever you do shall prosper. What does it take? Meditating on the truth of God. And when I say meditating on the truth of God, that means to continually be reading and reminding, continually be seeking him. So, I want to show you this jewel in 2 Peter because I want to talk about the truth 
concerning the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. We said it was truth class. I'm going to cover several subjects in truth class. We could speak weeks and weeks on the truth of the Bible, but I don't want to lose you. So I want to be able to see if we can cover these subjects. But the first thing is the truth of the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, the written Word of God. 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to read 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 through 21. When you find your place, say, I have it. present truths of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it's meet, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as the Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able to, you may be, boy, we've after my decease to have things these things always in your remembrance. Boy, we've heard remembrance a lot so far, haven't we? For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, and unto the light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We don't read much about 1 Peter chapter 1, but I want to teach this tonight. And I want us to be able to see that as we read 2 Timothy chapter 3, and Paul gave something to Timothy that was going to happen in the last days, at the end of 2 Timothy 3, Paul gave the remedy to Timothy. So I'm going between 2 Timothy 3 and 2 Peter 2. You don't have to turn back to 2 Timothy 3 now. We'll be there in a minute. But Paul says, Timothy, from a child, you knew the Holy Scriptures that were able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He told Timothy this. He said, this is what you need to do. But then he said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Inspiration of God, translated, means God breathed. So we need to understand what Peter's trying to say along with what Paul's trying to say. To learn the truth about the written word of God, the Holy Scriptures, I want to tell you what we believe is the truth. When I say we, me as your pastor and in this church, and if this is not what you believe, then I would like you to call me immediately tomorrow or tonight and we'll set something up. Not that I would say anything to you to make you feel, but I want you to know the truth, but I want the truth to let you know the truth. 
We believe that the Old and New Testament scriptures, as they were originally written, are the inspired word of God. That it's God breathed. That God communicated it to men through the Holy Spirit and revealed his word to them in order for them to reveal it to others. Since God revealed his word through the Spirit and through Spirit and through Spirit controlled men for the purpose of revealing himself to us, the scriptures are authoritative, complete, and without error. The Bible is the supreme revelation of God's will to mankind, which makes it the only infallible written work to be used as a guide as a guide for mankind in their belief and in their life. Amen? Amen. Now, that could just be something us nuts down here believe. But we have evidence. And God validates this in his word. And he wants us to know this. So I want you to know the statement I just made by what we're going to read tonight. Second Peter, chapter 1, we begin to read. And Peter explains that Scripture supports Scripture because God in His divine power was the one who revealed these things that were written to each writer. Peter was writing this to believers. So any believers in here tonight? You know, we're having Bible study. Believers, raise your Bible. Okay, believers, this is for you. Peter wrote this for you. But there's some jewels in here. The reason Peter wrote this was in order to explain to them the value and necessity of God's written word in their lives and to reinforce their authority, the authority of the scripture over their life. So verse 12, immediately. What did Peter say? Pretty neat. Listen to what Peter says. Peter says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. He's basically saying, I'm, I'm always going to remind you of these things. Even though you think you know them and you're firmly established in them, I'm going to remind you. He's saying to these believers, the reason that I keep teaching and preaching God's word to you is because God's truth needs to be repetitious. That's why he said remembrance in so many places. There needs to be repetition of God's truth. Why? Because believers easily forget. And all you have to do is forget God's truth enough to be confused. You don't have to forget it enough to totally not, not remember it, just enough to be confused. That's all the devil's looking for is just a place to come in and confuse. We've seen it all year long with what's going on in our social society. Between the riots and between everything turning upside down. It's a confusing man. All it needed to do was just be confused. That's all he looks for. So he said, I'm going to remind you, put you in remembrance, because repetition is important. And in verse 13, Peter said, I think it's necessary and right to keep reminding you the truth of God's word is 
long as he was alive in his body in order to refresh your memory. And so what's Peter getting morbid on us here? As long as, as long as I'm in this body, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, that's what is the reference to body. It's a tent, it's a temporary. As long as I'm in this, I'm going to keep reminding you. Verse 13, I'm going to put you in remembrance to stir you up. Stir you up. Stir you up. Is that to motivate you? Is that to, to get you going? No, no. To stir up your memory. Put you in remembrance to stir you up. I need to, to get the wheels turning in here. Why? Because you've been thinking about this going on at work, and you've been thinking about this going on with your kids. You've been thinking about this going on in your relationship. You've been thinking about this going on with your financial position. You've been thinking about this going on with your health. You've been thinking about this going on. I need to stir that part up. That's why I'm saying it again. I know you think you know. That's what he's saying. But it bears repeating. I'm going to take you back to something we talked about as we began. You have to be intentional to put yourself in a place where you're going to hear something you've already heard before. Thinking that you know it already, you don't have the ability not to forget it if other things creep in. That's why you need to continually put yourself. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together where you can hear the preached word of God, hear the taught word of God, having the written word of God. Don't forsake it. Why? Because somebody needs to put you in remembrance. And then again, you need to put somebody else in remembrance. It might not be a sermon that comes from here. It might be a conversation at your car and somebody else's car that you're putting them in remembrance of God's providence when they're going through a difficult time. Peter said, as long as I'm in this body. Pretty, pretty neat. And this whole thing is a, has a, a thread that runs through it. And pretty excited. Verse 14. Peter was saying this because he wanted to validate that he is one of the writers of the scripture that God was using. Actually has firsthand knowledge that was given to him by Jesus himself. You realize that Jesus had told Peter that he was going to die a martyr's death for preaching the gospel. Peter's basically saying, I, I must soon die, so I want to remind you while I can. Because I must soon die because Jesus told me that I would. So I want to remind you of his truth while I'm alive. Oh, he wasn't trying to have a sympathy kick. Let me read you a little bit of something that Jesus said. For you taking notes, it's in John chapter 21, I believe. Could be wrong. Pretty sure it is. John chapter 21. Jesus was talking to Peter. And he said, Peter, take note of this. Verse 18. Verily, verily, I say unto you, when you were young, Peter, you girded yourself and you walked wherever you wanted to, wherever you would have, but when 
When thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither you would not. What's he saying? He said, when you were young, you had the power to do what you wanted to do, but as you get older, and this was, I'm thinking about 40 years before it actually happened to Peter. When you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and somebody's going to carry you. He's talking about Peter being crucified, right? To a place where you don't want to go. But you don't take a genius to figure this out because John writes in verse 19, this spake Jesus, this spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. Then after Jesus told Peter, hey, one day you're going to be crucified. Verse 19 said, then he said, hey, follow me. <laughs> right? Can I tell you something about Peter? No matter what we say about him, he did follow him. So Peter said, I've got firsthand knowledge because I was with Jesus. But this gets better. Verse 15. You start thinking about this, and I'm back in 2 Peter, verse 15. Peter says, moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in your remembrance. Can I, can I just translate that for you? Peter said in verse 15, I want to make sure that after I die, and Jesus said I was going to die, but after I die, I want to make sure that you have these things in your remembrance. What is he saying? Hey, I'm writing you a letter for this reason so that after I'm gone, you will have written, written, validation that this is what God wanted me to tell you because I am one of those people that God inspired to write. And you need to be in remembrance over and over. And all I can say is I'm writing it before I die. Do you know that Second Peter was the last thing that Peter ever did? He wrote that later. It's his swan song. It's the last thing. This was not that rambunctious, buxom Peter that was, this was a humbled Peter writing this letter as Nero started to oppress and put down the, anybody who stood for God and eventually had him crucified. Oh, you think something's going on now? No, even in this time, that empire didn't want to hear the truth, and they especially didn't want to hear somebody talking about Jesus Christ being the king of kings. And Peter was the front man. And Peter knew it. And Peter's saying, I'm writing the inspired word of God. God's telling me this, but again, don't take my word for it. In verse 16, 2 Peter, 2, 2 Peter 1. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we have known unto you to make known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Interesting verse here. What Peter assured the readers of is that he was not repeating cleverly invented stories whenever he told about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did some research for you. The word fables was used to refer to the mythical stories about various gods and their miracles. It was the word fable. And he was saying, this is not some other story about some other God and miracles they've done. He said, I was actually there as an eyewitness of his majesty. 
When Peter said, we, in this verse, he spake of the other apostles that also wrote scripture, but there was a certain event where the other apostles are with them and they saw the majesty of Jesus, and he's going to refer to that. In the following verses, Peter gave evidence of, to prove that he wrote the truth of God as a writer genuinely inspired by God. Then Peter spoke about Jesus as an eyewitness. Can you imagine? His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. In verse 17, read this with me, please. Peter speaking about his eyewitness of Jesus. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What was Peter talking about? Well, translators say different things, but do you realize that in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus was baptized and in Matthew chapter 17 when Jesus and three disciples went up on what they call the Mount of Transfiguration, that's the two times we hear God say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Peter was there. First hand. But I believe he's speaking about transfiguration more than baptism because he uses the word majesty. He saw something that was mind-blowing. What did he see? You see, Peter noted that he and the others were on the Mount of Transfiguration in verse 18. He said, And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now, do you want to dig a little bit? I've got time, right? This is going to be quick. But let me tell you what he's talking about on the Holy Mount. Let me just read this little snippet of Scripture. This is Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17. Put it in your notes, verse 1 through 9. Now listen, this is what Peter is trying to tell the writer here, or the reader, excuse me. I was there. I was eyewitness. Now, there's a reason he's saying this. Now, this was Peter's experience. Say that with me. It was his what? Experience. Now, experiences are good, but a lot of times the church today, this new church today, it's all geared on experiences. Now keep that in your mind. This was his experience. It's pretty neat. Never found this in here before, but this is pretty neat. This is what happened, Matthew 17. And after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them up into the high mountain apart. And was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, his raiment, that means his clothing, was as white as light of the sun, and, his, and, and behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah, talking with them. Then answered Peter and said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? I always think that's comical. Hey, uh, me and the other guys, I mean, it's, it's just, I mean this, was a, this was a freakish thing. I'm just using that word because all of a sudden you're thinking about Jesus began to glow. That Shekinah glory. They were on the mountain and Peter's like, what is happening? What have I got myself into? And his clothes were white as snow. You say, well, we always see Jesus in a white robe. No, white as snow. No matter what was on him, he became transfigured. And they saw it. There were eyewitnesses that were there. 
Now get this, this is the amazing thing. I guess I should read the rest of it. Since while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice of the cloud. Now this is Peter's experience, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face, and they were afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man except Jesus only. When they came down off the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell no Tell this vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. Well, what do you know? Peter's telling it again, right? Now get this, because this is neat. But sometimes we don't see things when they're hidden in the Scriptures. Verse 19, it's big, it's big. Verse 19 starts with Peter, after he's given this account, his experience he makes this statement. It's a big statement. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now you wouldn't think that sounds like anything because even in some translation it says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Now what is he talking about? You see, he started talking about his scripture to begin with, right? The, the authority and validation of the scripture and why he had to, to write it so we could remember it, right? He says... In referring to the prophetic word, prophetic word refers to the Old Testament written by the prophets. When you say prophetic word, you see, the Old Testament scriptures all looked forward to the same degree of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, not the same degree, but at different degrees to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but all the Old Testament. And you say, well, I don't know about that. Well, I don't mind if you question me. Let me tell you what Jesus said. In Luke chapter 24, verse 27, Luke writes this about Jesus. Can you imagine being in this Bible study, Luke 24, 27? Luke writes, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, prophets Jesus, meaning, meaning Jesus, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things that concerned himself. There you go. Jesus went back. Can you imagine that Bible class? Boys, let's start at Genesis. I want to tell you what they said. Now, here's the neat thing. Peter was validating it, saying, all the prophets knew about me then. How would they know about me? God inspired them. They had to be God-inspired to know what to write. And he was pointing out those specific things. So Peter was saying, we've heard Jesus himself explain how the Old Testament prophets spoke of him. They had to be inspired to be able to know that about Jesus before he came. But he said, you need to take heed to this. Pay attention. This is the big thing here. You see, something interesting and just just didn't know it was there. Because you would think Peter is saying here, I get this with me. Is everybody into this where we can just get right here? Peter's saying, my experience is what validates all those prophets. That's the way we look at things. We think experience validates things, right? That's our mindset. Peter's saying the opposite. Get this. Peter's saying the experience they had on the Mount of Transfiguration confirm the scriptures but if you look at the original Greek translation it says and we have a more sure 
the prophetic word. More sure the prophetic word. So why is that so important? Get this. That means that Peter is ranking Scripture over experience. Pretty neat stuff. I hope you're as much excited about it as that because I, I tell you what, we live in an experience-driven world. And Peter is saying, no matter what experience, it doesn't, doesn't overwhelm the word. Or else Psalms would, one would have said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, or standeth in the way of sinners, or seeth in the sin of the scornful. But his delight is in the experiences that God gives him. But it didn't say that, did it? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law doth he meditate day and night. Pretty neat stuff, because uh, the prophetic word, or scripture as we call it, Peter's saying is more complete, more permanent, and more authoritative than the experience of anyone, even himself. Now what makes that big is that this is coming from Simon Peter who experienced as much or more than any other person that ever walked the face of the earth as far as being close to Jesus. And he's saying, hey, listen, as much as I can say about experience, the, the more sure prophetic word is more reliable than me. Isn't that big? And this is the Bible I've left on the shelf sometimes. Amen or oh me. So he says, you would do well at the end of this verse to take heed to the scriptures as your source of truth to give you a light of, the light of truth in a dark world. What the psalmist say, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What did Jesus say in his prayer to Father God? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Peter goes on, and I'll finish here. Verse 20 and 21. He said, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It's of no private interpretation. You'll hear people say all kinds of things about this scripture, but I want us to be able to discern what it says here in closing. Interpretation, and I think this is pretty neat. Interpretation in the Greek means to unloose or untie. Okay? We got that? Interpretation means what? Untie. But no scripture, and think about his wording here, he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any man's private interpretation. It's not of any human being's unloosing or untying. This is big. What he's trying to say is the written Word of God was not something that one of these people happened to, by their own power, reveal and untie and unloose to the common knowledge of man. 
It wasn't of the will of man. It was of the will of God. He's saying it was God that allowed them to be able to, to know and write what they said. It wasn't them that came up with this. The reason he's saying it was because at the same time, there were plenty of false teachers that were saying, now, this is my philosophy of this, and this is my philosophy of this. Maybe you've heard of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, right? And what they would do is come up with their own philosophies, and they would be glorified. He said, it's not of man's interpretation. It's God-breathed. It's God-inspired. He gave it to them. No man unloosed it or untied it. That's a big deal. Now, in the last days, there will be critics of this word. If you're in 2 Peter, all you have to do is go to chapter 3. It says in the second epistle, Beloved, I now write to you in both which I stir you up your pure minds. It's stirring again with the remembrance, isn't he? Let me remind you that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. He's doing it again of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord our Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. We're there, aren't we? And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all these things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, they willingly are ignorant of that which the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. We started with 2 Timothy 3 that said in the last day that men would turn away from God's truth. People are scared of this book because it tells them who they are. Do you realize that you can't come to God unless you admit who you are? And you can't stay right with God until you see yourself as who you are because repentance can't come until you have recognition of two things, God and yourself. This is the truth about God and the truth about us. It should be precious to all of us. Father God, I love you. I praise you and I thank you for your word, your written word, God. I love it. I cry out to you, Lord, and I've, I've asked for that forgiveness of just those times, Lord, when I, I wasn't just in it like I should have been. God, it's so sweet. I thank you for the wisdom in it, the peace in it, the knowledge in it, where I can see you and feel you. And Lord, I pray this for my brothers and sisters that are in this room. Lord, we know your truth is in here, but we're hearing the truth, Lord, every time we turn something on or every time we read something, but it's not your truth. God, I pray for just a conviction of the Holy Spirit inside of all of us to have that desire, Lord, to, to concentrate on your truth. I pray, God, that tonight as you hear the prayers of your children in this congregation, Lord, we know when we've been guilty of not listening to your truth as much as somebody else's. Listen to the repentful prayers tonight, God, and give them that hunger, that thirst for your word so that they can, Lord, meditate on it and be like that tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in season and leaf doesn't wither. And Lord, 
That's the only prosperity gospel that you've ever put out there to us. Was to read your word and we'll prosper. We praise you for that. And I ask you, God, for someone who's never accepted your son Jesus, Lord, if, if they want the truth and they're convicted right now, Lord, I pray that they would have the boldness to cry out to you, confess who they are as a sinner, and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.